0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Live Your Truth Now. I'm Mike Ligori. And in this episode, I'm talking to my good friend, Michael Hunter, the founder of Spiffy, a company that helps design intelligent checkout pages and helps improve how people are buying your productized services and digital products. In this episode with Michael, we talk a lot about the fundamental aspects of entrepreneurship, why it's important for you to build a business and not get distracted by what's being shown to you on social media when it comes to entrepreneurship. Michael also talks about VC money and why you should really, truly know what it means to take money from a venture capital firm. If you're thinking about building your own business, if you're thinking about going into business with somebody else, or you're in the midst of running your business and you're looking to take it to the next level, you're going to want to hear this episode because Michael shares insights and perspectives from his own journey as to how he got to where he is and why it's so important for him to focus on slow and steady growth, as opposed to taking money from somebody else and trying to grow at a very fast pace. He also talks about systems and processes that you want to think about when it comes to building your company. And one of my favorite topics in the episode was talking about what to look for in a business partner. Now, I want to expand on that a little bit. Business partners, he said, was... One of the top reasons that businesses fail, bad business partners. And if you're looking for a business partner, you're looking to get into a business partnership, you're going to want to listen to the episode where he talks about what he looks for in a business partner, how he met his business partner, and how they come to an agreement when maybe there's a little bit of disagreement or a little bit of discord and challenges. So you're going to want to listen to that if you're in that season of your life right now looking for a business partner and getting ready to grow and scale your business. Last but not least, I want to thank each and every single one of you for listening to the Live Your Truth Now podcast. We've gotten a lot of great feedback, a lot of great reviews. Thank you guys so much for being a part of what we're building here I live your truth media. I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful for this opportunity. And now onto the episode with the one and only Michael Hunter. Mr. Michael Hunter, welcome to the live your truth now podcast. How are you, bud? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, man. I had a uh, wonderful conversation with your uh, now wife, Natalie, and it was amazing. She was a couple episodes back, and now we get to interview the other half of the hunters, Mr. Michael Hunter. Uh, so good to see you, man, and uh, I hope you've had a good holidays season as well. Was the holidays good for you? Yeah, absolutely, man.
1: Definitely nice time of year to, to you know take the the pedal off the gas just a little bit for a couple of days, and then uh, you know. Now full steam ahead prepping for next year
0: yeah twenty twenty four is uh is one of those years i think everybody just cohesively is excited for are you what's what's exciting for you for twenty twenty four personal professional
1: yeah twenty twenty four
0: um is
1: it's a big year in in my personal life obviously recently married and so that's a, a big milestone and uh, also on the business front um you know it's, it's Twenty twenty four is is like our year of overnight success. Eight years in the making, <laughs> you know. So it's like you know, we've been on the grind for the past eight years, and twenty twenty three was the setup year, and twenty twenty four, you know, everything's pointing towards it being a, a really big for year, a big year for us in the business.
0: Yeah, man, that's that's so exciting. And for everybody listening out there, Michael and I have been friends for a couple years. He's an amazing entrepreneur, an even better human being. And one of the things that really I found interesting that I thought would be a great way uh, to discuss on the show, especially because we were talking about authenticity before uh, we started recording today, Michael. Uh, Michael has built an amazing business through the lens of personal morals and values and decisions. And, you know, he shared some things with me in private I thought was just really powerful and, and captivating. And I wanted to just bring this up here to everybody else who's thinking about starting a business in 2024, who's maybe in the grind of their business. There might be getting dangled a little bit of that, that golden parachute, right? Or those golden handcuffs, uh, or even just a lot of money from a VC or an angel investor comes in, or they're seeing a ton of revenue coming in and they want to build this billion-dollar rocket ship. So... You know, Michael, to me, has, uh, let's just say, experienced a lot of times where he's been given carrots and he didn't take them. And <laughs> uh, yeah, Michael, I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about, you know, Spiffy, uh, your company, what you guys do, and, um, you know, how did the, the origin, the Genesis story of, of Spiffy, how did you guys get started with that?
1: Yeah, perfect. All. I'll start with like what Spiffy is, and then kind of talk about how we yeah. we we backed into it. Um, but you know, Spiffy we are the go-to checkout solution for digital entrepreneurs. Uh, and work with a lot of big name influencers. They use our checkout system to sell their online courses, their product services. Um, you know, a lot of freelancers, agencies, coaches, consultants use our our software. And how Spiffy was born was actually out of our marketing agency. So back in mm-hmm. 2010 I built a I started a marketing agency and we niched down to working with author speakers coaches experts thought leaders personal brands and influencers kind of that whole market uh, people that wrote you know, New York Times best-selling books um, just servicing them building the websites building their funnels building uh you know run their ads campaigns end to end and used all of the software out there and found a pain point in the marketplace around payments that everyone just was slightly missing the mark on and saw an opportunity for us to build the tool that we wish that we had um, servicing our clients. And so uh, essentially, that's the genesis of of Spiffy um, and, and how the idea came about. You make
0: it sound so simple. It was just an idea that just came to you. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, to, to dive into that just a, a little bit further,
1: um, in working with clients, we we knew that we wanted to transition from a service-based agency into a software company. Um, and one of the best ways to do that is to intimately know the pain points and challenges of the market that you're serving. And so what better way to get paid to learn than to start an agency, become a freelancer, and start working with your ideal clients to start knowing their pain points and challenges intimately. So. Um, you know that's that's what we did um and you know in hindsight obviously i'm giving you the 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 the, the dots connected looking backwards right at right. the times you know sometimes they don't uh, you know appear it, when you're in it they don't appear to connect as as fluidly as as the uh, retrospective but uh we actually had about 20 different software ideas um all that were a million dollar plus ideas um, and then we had about three that we thought could be fifty to hundred million dollar ideas, and through a vetting process, um, we just executed it against the one that had the highest upside potential with the least amount of risk. And so, you know, if you're going to build a business, and uh, you know, it takes about the same amount of sweat, equity, blood, tears, <laughs> sleepless yeah, nights, right. and so you may as well, um, you know, build something that has a you know the highest upside potential possible based off of your current uh, resources and skills and the least downside risk so that's what we did
0: you talked about intimately knowing the pain points of your clients and i think that's a great way to jump right into you know the theme of today's conversation uh, you know with morals and values in business and also building relationships you're a guy that Really prioritizes your relationships, not just with your business partner Jeremy, but also with your team, and also with the people that you work with as clients. I remember when we had met uh, a couple of years ago; you were still taking sales calls. Like you could have easily hired reps to do, you know, all that work for you. But I remember something you told me when we were staying there, and I, and I never forgot this. And I said, "Man, you're taking all these sales calls." Like you were doing every single demo, and you were doing these sales calls. You said it's important for me to know who these people are buying that are buying from me. So I want you to talk to me about that in terms of when you talk about intimacy and of knowing the pain points of clients, of knowing your clients. Where do you start, and how do you cultivate that? It's
1: one hundred percent through conversation, you know. And I think especially when it comes to internet marketing, online entrepreneurship, one of the biggest myths is that. You can do a million dollar launch hiding behind a keyboard without having to talk to anyone, and nothing could be further from the truth. Um, You know, oh, I can just on- launch an online course and make five hundred thousand dollars a year without taking a call, without any meetings, without any of the things. And, you know, may- maybe someone got really lucky, and that's their story, but that's not the the the, the path. The path is you know grabbing zoom calls grabbing coffee in person sitting across the table from someone understanding how you can help them and developing products and services that can fulfill that need and to your point i mean even to this day i still take uh you know customer service calls you know high level customer service calls i still take uh sales demo calls and it's really important as a founder of a business to not get too far detached from knowing who your target customer is and the pain points that they're Facing on a day to day basis, um, you know, part of my personal story as well is I'm actually taking a, a job at a big tech company where there was you know a massively successful company, raised hundreds of millions of dollars, was prepping to go public, um, and they brought in all this Silicon Valley executive team um, that knew how to build software companies and. Uh, the 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 team and the passion and the energy of the of the founders, um, kind of got shelved and put to the side because these tech executives who knew better, you know, knew how to run things of, of this bigger business. And I saw how that was actually detrimental to that business. And so, you know, it's either right nor wrong. Um, you know, I'm sure it's hindered our growth in some capacity too. But for us, you know, being a product focused company, just you know, not getting too big for your britches, not um, having too much ego as a founder of a company to just sit across the table, so to speak, you know, across the camera from from somebody who's, um, who's one of your customers and, and having those conversations, I think is very important.
0: You know, something that was interesting that you said was, you know, you found that the energy of the founding team kind of died a little bit, you know, at that tech experience job. It just kind of... It, it kind of dissipated it went away, and I see that, and i 'm sure you 've seen that too a lot with tech founders um, is that the excitement of building something new about scaling something big is there. people get really excited, you start making your first hires, and then you know you grow and scale the team and it 's these external forces that founders bring in that are not part of the the root or kind of the the heart and soul of the company that often you know, kill it. Why do you think that is? Well, why do you think that that tends to be the status quo when you're bringing in outside consultants or executives, or you know, maybe not consultants, but outside firms that are giving money or have worked somewhere else? Um, why do you think that happens? I I think it's quite simple. It's it's literally just coming back to
1: knowing the market and intimately knowing. Uh, who your customer is intimately knowing your product. Um, and knowing how you're serving that customer. Um, you know, customer su- support is, is the face of, of the company. And, um, after you get tons of layers of management and the entry level customer support people, that customer level, that, that support person is the brand. And when you have high turnover in those customer facing roles, And you're hiring people um, who treat it just as a job versus it being something um, that they're actually passionate for, uh, you can feel the difference. The customers can feel the difference. And so that's where, like, the magic of a startup, the magic of a small business, the magic of that company growing, and the excitement of the employees showing up to work, taking pride in ownership, and seeing how, you know, them being one of a team of 20 or one of a team of 50. Like they're playing a critical role in the growth of that business. Once you get to be a really big business, that's where it's just the natural progression of business. At least from from my experience, is to lose a little bit of that magic just because you know there's you, you and ultimately I think it comes from companies trying to scale too fast and hire too fast. So you know as you as we've talked about previously that's one thing that we've decided not to do is grow as fast as possible we want slow steady growth have our focus on our customers hire the right people at the right time and and maintain that magic for as long as possible
0: Yeah and it's such an interesting approach that you're taking too because conventional wisdom right or like you know I should put air quotes like conventional wisdom will tell you that hey you got something here you have traction Why not just take some outside money? Why not just take some big angel money? Um, You could probably raise a couple million dollars easily, you know, from what you've shared with me. And you could next 18, 24 months be, you know, at least high eight figures easily, if not more. And you've told me no. You told me that's not not what I want to do. That's not what Jeremy wants to do. That's not what the team wants to do. Uh, Slow, steady growth. So how did you get everybody to buy into that because it is against the grain it is and uh, you know to be fully transparent um if
1: it were up to me i would have probably raised money a couple of years ago and so mm-hmm. it was actually the influence of my business partner jeremy and us having deep discussions where i was probably you know 60 40 towards raising money and not and he was probably 60 40 so it's not raising money. It's through our conversations that um, you know have have influenced our decision not to yet. And it's not saying that we never will. But it's one of my my big passions, and and one thing that I want to have a more vocal um, voice and influence in the entrepreneurship community is that a lot of times people think they have to go raise money. To even get started on their idea, or if they don't go raise money, that their idea is not legitimate enough. You know, like all the the real companies go and raise venture capital, and nothing could be further from the truth. Those are the companies that you see in the headlines on the front pages of newspapers, on the fr- you know picture, you know that there are plastered everywhere because the VCs do that because they're playing the VC game, which is, um, you know, a lot of, um, you know. Leading with uh, growth metrics versus actual profits, and so um, you know, nothing is is sexier than building a profitable business. Um, and um, early on in in my life, I I recognized that one of my core values was freedom and uh, the ability to do what I want when I want. Um, and and so when you take money from someone you know it's it's not as is it's not always or uh, as as uh beautiful of an experience as it's portrayed to be we celebrate you know these companies raising 5 10 20 50 100 million dollars um when you know they're going essentially going and getting uh 5 10 20 100 million dollars in debt right so i, I don't know you know it's, it's it's these these weird concepts where um, just because it's the way it, the way it seems everyone's doing it doesn't necessarily mean it's
0: the right way. and doesn't
1: necessarily mean it's the only way either.
0: Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting because I remember, uh, I want to say maybe like pre-COVID, like 2019, 2018, you could raise money with just an idea. You could walk into somebody's office and be like, I have an idea. And they'd be like, great. What is it? It's a software company. Great. Here's your money. It was like very easy to do that. And the landscape totally. has changed a lot now. It's changed drastically. And I think the freedom aspect that you mentioned here, I'm seeing more entrepreneurs, kind of the light bulb goes on where they go, oh, maybe I I, I really should profit profit, you know, really should prioritize profit rather than taking all this VC money that I'm going to owe somebody later. And now they have a third of my company or even a a half of my company. Something that you said though that was interesting was your partner Jeremy, you guys were kind of like the 60-40, you were, you know, or he was 40-60, you were 60-40. You know, one of the things I really love to dive into is is partnership. So you you have a disemphasis in this focus of intimately getting to know your clients. When it comes to business partners though, I would imagine it's almost the exact same thing before you jump Uh, the two of you jump into business together, you got to know who you're dealing with. And I think there's a lot of misinformation on how to quote shop for a business partner or finding somebody that can be an integrator into the business. You and Jeremy have worked before in a business together and you guys have built Spiffy to what it is now. How did you guys come to agreeing to work in a partnership together. What were your What were the shared morals and values that you guys have? How did you guys spend time with each other? How do you guys continue to spend time with each other? Because it's almost like another marriage. Speaking of marriage that we were mentioning earlier, it's like a second marriage that you're in right now.
1: Totally. Yeah, I always say that Jeremy was my first marriage. <laughs> so <laughs> um, yeah, and, and Jeremy was uh, not my first business partnership. And I had some business partnerships in the past that were not good and you know i was actually more apprehensive to form a business partnership um than i think the average person would be and so it it is a critically important business i would say bad business partnerships are probably you know the second leading cause to business failures um you know it's it's very important that you're on the same page with your business partner not only with like what you want to do and who you want to serve but like you know for for example, like one of my um, you know past business partnerships, great human, like one of the most beautiful people ever on this planet. Um, he's he's since passed away since um, we were working together, and you know who he was as a person, just how he treated every single conversation, um, still impacts me to this day. How friendly, how, how outgoing, how fearless he he was, and. At the same time, we had much different what I call money blueprints. You know, to him, a thousand dollars was like hitting the lottery, and to me, a thousand dollars was like, all right, great, we can pay our rent this month. Like next, like let like we got to get that times hundred. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, type of a thing, right? So, nice. yeah. even if someone's an amazing person, even if they're fearless, you know, there's still things that are very important conversations to have, and it's very important to treat it like you're going into a marriage and like talking about the different things making sure that neither person you know especially when you're starting a business there can't be any greed involved like you got to protect the business first and build the golden egg and live off of the 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 eggs that the golden goose is is pr- producing right and so you have to you know I, like that as a metaphor is an important ideal to kind of how to think about it like what qualities does a person need to have in order to Raise a golden goose together <laughs> um and and ultimately that's what you know jeremy and I have done um and uh you know I would say even um uh, also having a a long term vision you know when you, when you're starting a brand new company, you're probably better off going and getting a job for the first five years, and so you need to go into it knowing that your income is most likely going to be lower than um it would be for the first five to seven years. Um and and you there there's other trade-offs, you know, that that are are more valuable to you than 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 just the money. As far as time freedom, flexibility, working remotely, working from anywhere, you know, all those things are great. Um and not only not everyone performs well in that environment either. So I also think that, you know, one of my other uh things I'm really passionate about is, you know, 10, 15 years ago, entrepreneurship really wasn't that cool. You know, it's become a buzzword. It's almost become like if you're not an entrepreneur, then you're not, you know, you're not trying in life. When I also don't think that the the path of entrepreneurship, it, you know, I don't think everyone's cut out for entrepreneurship either. So I think that's also another important message where, you know, if you get on Facebook these days, you just get hit with ads from you know, the, the Grant Cardones and the Gary V's of the world, you know, talking about hustle, 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 build, 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 grind, 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 side hustle this, side hustle that, invest in real estate. And it's like, that's great for some people, but that's not necessarily in the cards for everyone. That doesn't light everyone up. And so I think it's easy to get wrapped up in what society thinks is success, where in, in my life, time freedom and flexibility is the ultimate flex, not the Ferrari in the garage. You know there's a lot of people that have the Ferrari, the Lambo, the house, and they have to grind 16 hour days just to afford the lifestyle that they created. They've created a really beautiful jail cell for themselves versus actually being able to spend time doing the things you want to do when you want to do it. So also redefining success, what what success is, what it looks like, um, is is something that's really important to me too.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. It's um, you know, you said something about it's almost like it's it's like that phrase uh, you know you know people crying in their ferraris yeah. you know with <laughs> yeah. like it's like the golden handcuffs right you see a lot of that and it and it gets perpetuated all over social media it really does it's it's this idea of everybody has to be a billion dollar founder everybody has to have hundreds of millions of dollars everybody has to be a person of notoriety everybody has to be a person of fame and nobody can just be a builder Or somebody that doesn't have to launch the personal brand or somebody that doesn't have to make content every single day. And I think there's this notion for a lot of entrepreneurs, and I'm sure you've seen this too, where they feel this pressure that they have to build this personal brand and they have to build a company and they have to have 100,000 followers and they have to be able to do direct to consumer and they have to get into real estate and they have to do all these things. And what happens is, is that all those distractions end up pulling you away from the one thing that you wanted to do in the first place was build the business. How do you, and and I don't, and you're one of those people that's actually a true builder. You, you know, you do a lot of sales and you do a lot of marketing, you know, but you're not on content making reels every single day. You're, you'll contribute, uh, you know, I'm sure to this podcast, and you've done shows before, you know, but that was, that was a decision that you made to not yeah. do that.
1: Yeah, I think. Why is he? I, th- I mean, part of it is just out of my personal story. Um, in 2010, I started my marketing agency as a social media marketing agency. Um, I built it to be, you know, one of the most notable social media companies in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, it wasn't a big agency, but just in that small business community um, was was a go-to uh, enough so that I got recruited to run social media with my friend Heather Dobson at. The fastest growing software company in Arizona. So I got recruited, joined their marketing team, and lived and breathed social media all day, every day for five years, like day in, day out, nights, weekends. And so part of it was um, being in that. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, even after I left that tech company, going back to my agency and uh, running Facebook ads and doing social media stuff like that. So just, I mean, I I was deep into the social media game very early on. You know, I would argue that I was one of the pioneers of corporate social media. Like we would, we had to go and convince the leadership that Facebook ads were a good place to spend money when they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on Google ads. We're like, hey, like let's spend 10k over here. You know, <laughs> numbers are metaphorical, but um, you know, it's like to 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 give you a, an example, like that's how early in the game. You know, I was operating at a pretty high level when it came to social media and business. Um, literally the week after Facebook opened their business pages for... Or their, their, their business pages for small businesses is when I started my company. I realized like, Hey, like, I've been doing the social media thing for the past 6-7 years. I have a skill that's marketable in the marketplace. These businesses have no idea what they're doing on social media. So that was kind of how that idea formed. Right. Um, And there, you know, I, I think... Especially with uh, you know being a consumer on social media, it's it's easy to think that the way that other people are building their business through content is the only way to build a business, and nothing could be further from the truth. You know, huge companies were built before social media ever existed. Is it a great tool to grow and scale a business? Absolutely, but just posting. Content on social media, just running ads on Facebook doesn't necessarily mean that you're building a business you might be getting attention you might be getting sales um, but it's not necessarily building a business for me, one of my litmus tests of are you you know of, of a business is if you step away from your business for thirty days, does it maintain itself or does it grow without your direct input and if it doesn't at least maintain itself or grow then based off my personal opinion and my personal definition then it's not a business it's still something that is um you know ultimately in that self-employed category um and so again that's where I kind of full loop it's like focusing on building a true business focusing on building systems and processes using social media as one avenue of acquiring customers but then also being very intentional about other avenues as well is something that's very very important um and oftentimes the input the time input for building on you know of, of creating the content, editing the content publishing the content um, oftentimes that's not necessarily the fastest path to get started or the fastest way to to grow It's a great way to test different messaging because uh, there's low uh, low risk high you know you, you can iterate yeah. and test things quickly and things of that nature so um, yeah that's kind of kind of some of my thoughts on on social media and and why I haven't um you know, been a why social media hasn't been a a main
0: focus for growing Spiffy to where it's at today. And well, it's inter- it's I guess you could say like the 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 notion that you know people are. Let me start that over. So, if somebody wanted to build their business or step away from their business, according to this litmus test that you have, you know, outside of systems and processes. I would think people would be the big one, would be the big one to find somebody who can be the, the button pusher, the, you know, pulling the levers in your business. Talk to me about how someone who's listening to this right now may, might have an agency, might have a, you know, company that, you know, they're the bottleneck and they knowingly are the bottleneck and they, you know, embrace it almost. But they do have bigger dreams. They do have bigger aspirations to walk away from it and build a real business. How does one get started in doing that?
1: Great question. I would say that it's actually detrimental to do it too early, right? Like I was mentioning too, it's like being in the weeds, like having that relationship with the customers, um just like in having a longer term vision understanding that there's kind of this 5 to 7 year run that you're going to be on and like you might be the bottleneck for for quite some time and to answer your point how do you get out of it is you simplify 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 like figure out what are the needle movers to get the end result just because you can do all these other things doesn't mean that you should and uh, the only way that you can get yourself out of the business is by Streamlining, systematizing, and and creating processes to get a predictable and repeatable result. It's very, very important. So, when you are the sole person in your business, it's really easy to take on this custom project here, take on this client that's kind of sort of not really a good fit because you know these systems, these tools really well, or you know Facebook ads really well, and you can kind of make it work and get a result. But, like, in order to hire a team that can implement and get a predictable a repeatable result you have to get really really focused on who your target customer is and what value you provide to them i think apple is a really good example of this just to like use an example that virtually everyone can can relate to is that you know apple has arguably been you know since the late 2000s like 2000 what 7 8 9 was when like iTunes came out, and it was like Apple was like the powerhouse in music. It wasn't until like just like a year or two ago that Apple came out with like their over ear headphones. Like that's fifteen years later. They have like eight hundred billion dollars in the bank account. Like they're sitting on cash. They could they could have easily acquired a company. I think they did acquire Beats or something at some point, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they did. Yeah, 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 they acquired Beats. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like like just recently. Can you go into the Apple Store and buy over-ear headphones? Just recently did they get into like the AirPod game. You still can't get a giant monitor that's like an Apple, you know they obviously they have Apple TV that's like the device that you plug into your TV, but Apple makes computer screens. They could easily build flat screen TVs, but they don't, right? So like you start to think
0: so, Yeah, that's what I, that's what I mean, dude. That's so funny you said that because like I was thinking about this the other night. I was watching like we have our your TV, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, like I'm looking over to left it right over my shoulders, my TV that I had, and I have an Apple TV there. And I was like, you know, why hasn't Apple developed their own Apple TV? like an 80 inch flat screen where it's like the integration of Apple TV. I just, I don't understand why that is.
1: Yeah. At all. And, and, you know, I have my MacBook Pro plugged in with a HDMI cable into, you know, a, a, 24 inch monitor, that's a different brand than Apple, right? And it's like, why doesn't you know, Apple has like the, the desktop iMac that has like the computer and the screen all in one? But why don't they they, yeah. they have the screen? They built the screen. It's in one of their products. Why don't they just create screens that I can use at my desk setup with my laptop and plug it in? But they don't, right? And so again, it's just because you can doesn't mean you should. And Apple, I think, is is an, a, a great example of a cash rich business. That literally can, can invest an R and D department to create anything, but they don't. They focus on doing a few things really well. They focus on creating an integ- what we call an integrated product suite or a logical product progression. You, know, you buy the yeah, iPhone good. first, you know, and then you're like, "Oh man, this is sweet." Oh, I really wish my text messages came through on my computer. That would be really helpful. So then you buy the laptop, and you're like, "Oh man, like when I'm on the plane, you know, my phone's too small." And, don't want to pull up my laptop, so I gotta get the iPad, and they all work together, right? And so, thinking about that logical product progression in your business, that's really um, you know a, an important thing and concept and strategy where it's so simple, and we're talking about it right now, and it sounds so logical, but very few people actually do it.
0: Well, especially because the word logical was in there too. You would think it have to be? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it would have to be logical. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, and, I mean, logical for the customer, it's like the logical product progression, right. like the customer can yeah. see it, but then like as a strategy in your business, it like it sounds too simple. It sounds almost trite or cliche, or it's just like it can't be that easy. Um, you know, oftentimes, a lot of people just they try to do too many different things that aren't synergistic, and they feel like they're spending a lot of different plates versus like focusing in one thing um, in one topic, one area, and and building different products that, that um, people can descend through
0: yeah just getting really good. I think for everybody out there, you know, just getting really good at what one has moved the needle in your business and two, trusting and knowing that you will get better the more you hone in on your craft of the thing that you do really well. And I think that's something that I've seen and learned from you just as a as a founder is is that you guys are focusing on optimizing checkouts. You're focusing on creating more money for businesses. Could you do other things? Absolutely. You could definitely um, probably expand your services, especially from the marketing aspect, but you don't. You focus on how do we get people to buy more when they check out of a business? And I think that I think that's a true testament to personal morals and values, which I want to touch on here before we get to the, the last segment of the show, is... As we were talking in the beginning of the, of the show, we were talking about founders at times compromise their morals and their values for funding. They compromise their morals and values to try to get rich quick and so they don't have to work again. And they figure, oh, you know, I can sacrifice this or I can get rid of that just to make a ton of money and then I'll just go back to being to this like altruistic person. <laughs> and I find it so... I find it so funny that people think that that's going to solve their problems. You know, just taking all of this money and then they can go back to being the the this moralistic person after sacrificing it for something that wasn't in alignment for them. Now for you as a founder, what where do you find I guess for your, within yourself, do you find any sort of conflict? when you've gotten those offers in the past in terms of money like have you had somebody offer you money and you felt like well I could kind of give this up you know and then you know it's not that big of a deal but you know it didn't feel in alignment with you
1: um i think ultimately it comes back to really having a sober view of what venture capital actually is why people write checks and what it means to accept that money. You know, it's not immoral or like, it's not like dirty money by any means. But yeah. like, I think a lot of people, they take the money without understanding the responsibility behind it. They take the money. What do you mean by, that, yeah.
0: What when, do you mean by that? When, when you
1: take someone else's money, you have a fiduciary responsibility to give that person a return on their money that's greater than putting it in a CD in a bank, that's greater than. Them investing it into the S and P 500 that's greater than X, Y, and Z, and so like the the VC game, the reason why people write those checks is to get an outsized return. And so if you're not extremely confident that within the next three to seven, you know three three to seven years, it's typically where you know the, the the turnaround needs to happen, if you're not extremely confident, you can grow extremely quickly to a, to become a big company fast. And if you're not sure that you want to sell the business, then you shouldn't be raising money um and so that's the responsibility is when you take that check, that person's writing that check, expecting to sell within three to three to seven years, expecting for that money to ten x and expecting to probably have quite a bit of control like you know people just don't <laughs> roll around giving people millions of dollars without you know some type of strings attached to it, right? yeah people right. also don't understand the mechanisms of. Of cap tables and who gets paid first. And, you know, especially in 2021, 2022, you know, valuations were crazy. Every, you know, all VCs were cash flush to writing checks to anyone and everyone. And a lot of people raised a lot of money at peak valuations. And again, people don't understand what that means. At the end of the day, like founders that raised too much money at the peak of oh, uh, 21, 22, uh, they could have just worked. Five to seven years of their life to like virtually get nothing when they sell that business. They're they're marquees on the on the the newspapers. They raised twenty five million bucks here. They raised thirty million here. They raised eight million here. Um, at the end of the day, what matters when you're building a business is like like creating. At least for me, is creating freedom and generational wealth. And so, a lot of those numbers sound impressive, but at the end of the day. When you actually hear about these hundred million dollar exits, fifty million dollar exits across four business partners, after taxes, after investors get their money back, after some debt was paid, yeah. you know, after stock options to some employees, like again, you might still have a couple million dollars in the bank, but as a founder, but it's not the fifty or hundred million dollars that was you know marqueeed across all the headlines. So, um, you know, one having a very sober realization of what VC is, what that game is, and responsibility. Um, and two, getting really, really clear on like what you value and what season of life that you're in. Um, again, there's, there's a time and a place to raise money. There's certain industries where I think you have to raise money like healthcare, um, biotech, like doing anything super innovative in those fields, very capital intensive, lots of regulations and um, restrictions and things you have to do right out of the gates. Uh, from a compliance standpoint it's very expensive. Um so again, it's, you know there's there's always exceptions but you know by you know by by all means most people think they have to raise money to get started and nothing could be further from the truth. And it's much mm. more one of my favorite quotes quotes from Tony Robbins is um you know it's I'm going to butcher it but it's something to the effect of, you know, um if you know if resources is never the excuse, it's the lack of resourcefulness or you know resources is never the reason why you don't have what you want, it's the lack of resourcefulness. So it's not the money, it's the creativity to create the uh, the income that, that you desire, for example. so it's, it's not a lack of
0: resources, it's a lack of resourcefulness. Do you find it as the company grows and you're getting bigger clients and more notable clients, uh, brand name clients, do you find that as these opportunities are presenting themselves, maybe somebody's approached you, maybe somebody hasn't approached you? Um, do you find it? it's even in clients? I think that's one thing that uh, I've seen that you know when you get bigger, you get more brand name clients, but sometimes those clients aren't really in alignment with who you are and what the company's doing or you're in alignment with what they're doing. As you guys grow, do you find do you find it you as a founder harder to say no?
1: Um, I mean, I think as the clients get bigger, the names get bigger, the dollar amounts come bigger. Inherently, there's you know extra desire to make things work, um, and I think it's also an important aspect of of you know building a business that's really not dependent on any one customer or any one name, and just like. Building a business where you know you're going to enjoy the journey, you're not doing it for the exit. You're not doing it because it's like a business money making scheme, or uh, you know, it's like the hot thing. You know, like like drop shipping. It's like okay, great. <laughs> yeah. I understand the strategy. I don't want to be selling charcuterie boards that I buy from Alibaba and making fifteen dollars a charcuterie board or <laughs> whatever the scheme is. Right? It's like that's gonna dry up at some point if it's that easy to make that much money. Competition's gonna come in. Margins are going to drop, and you're going to five years from now, you're going to be, uh, you know, at, at square one. So, um, you know, ultimately, um, you got a little, little, little sidetrack there, but it's, you know, it's just really important to focus on building something that's not dependent on any one person, that's not dependent on any one customer, and um, making sure that you're just hammering on your craft. You're doing something where, like, you know, if that customer leaves. Uh, they're they're gonna be back a couple years from now. You're gonna get feedback from them, you're gonna understand why they're leaving, you're gonna stay in touch with them, have a good relationship. So um, you know, that's definitely been our story. We've had customers leave and come back. They think the grass is greener on the other side, like you know, a couple years later, we keep growing, we keep innovating, they come back. We have the features that they voiced that they wanted back then, and so it's just like staying in the course, staying. You know, sticking to your guns, sticking to your vision and uh, protecting that um, as much as possible.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a great way uh, for us to jump into this last segment of the show. And uh, Michael, anyway, man, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge. Um, for all of you who are interested in checking out Spiffy and more about Michael, we'll include links in the show notes in the description below so you guys can check them out. And also, I think the big thing takeaway for all of you out there is to know that you can build a business on your terms. And you can build a business by sticking to what's important to you. As you guys have heard Michael say, he's talked about freedom, time freedom. And he's talking about not being chained to owing people money. That doesn't mean he won't take an opportunity later, but it's got to be the right opportunity. And that's what I want everybody to just think about is what is the right opportunity for you? What is the right opportunity for you to build this business? And so I hope you guys got a lot of value out of today. So Michael, again, thank you, man, for your time. I really appreciate it. Last question for you. We ask this for every guest on the show. As you know, the title of this podcast is Live Your Truth Now. And it's all about exploring the role of authenticity in our successes in order for us to live the life that we desire. So Mike, what is your definition Of living your truth?
1: Ooh, that's a deep question. Um, I don't know what the definition is, but I know that like a litmus test is just like looking yourself, being able to look yourself in the mirror and be satisfied with who you are, how you operate in the world on a day to day basis. Um, you know, there's there's a time in my life where I operated of out of a lot of people pleasing. And uh, operated from a place of doing things so that certain people would like me, respect. You know, thinking that if I went out of my way to do and operate and 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 do specific things, I would earn someone's respect. And at the end of the day, um, you know, the people that I was trying to change to seek approval from, you know, ended up falling out of falling out of my life, and. And at the end of the day, I looked back and I was like, man, for the last six years of my life, there was so much stress and anxiety and thought that went into my actions that ultimately, I was left not being able to look at myself in the mirror and was left with those relationships falling out of my life. So ultimately... Left with virtually nothing, <laughs> right? And so, at the end of the day, it's just so important to like be really, really clear on what you value. Don't be swayed by society, by societal norms, by people's highlight reels on social media because they're just taking the pictures from all the right angles. You're getting the the seventieth picture that they took. They deleted, the, you know, all the other ones. <laughs> it's like it's all it's yeah. very, very manufactured. Like you can't live your life being influenced by the falsities that we see on social media. And at the end of the day, it's one of the, I think the most important things is to be able to look yourself in the mirror, know that you operated based out of, out of a place of, of truth, of honesty, of passion. And you're showing up every single day, your best self, looking to get better the next day. Um, and at the end of the day, that's the, that's the recipe for living in your truth and. Um, being your authentic self. And I think that's the only way to operate. And I believe
0: as a society, we've, we've strayed from that quite a bit. Well said, my friend. Thank you for coming on the show. And thanks to all of you for tuning into this week's episode of the Live Your Truth Now podcast. If you like what you heard, go ahead and give us a follow on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you saw, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have plenty of interviews, more coming to you very, very soon. Take care, my friends. I'll see you in the next episode.